Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. She's worked at Postmates, Twitter, YouTube, and Google. Today's guest is Sarah Mozkov. She's the CEO and co-founder of Winnie, which is a community for working parents and parents more generally. She's got an amazing background. So she graduated with a computer science and engineering degree from MIT. And then she went on to work as one of the early employees at Twitter. She's worked at some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, and she left her latest company, Postmates, to start a company when she became a parent. With a background in consumer technology and product management and a team of engineers, they are looking at what it takes to create an app and a website that focuses on parents. In this episode, we're going to talk about what some of the common pitfalls of Silicon Valley culture are and how to design a company that actually works for women. She talks about why late night events don't really work and how when things took a turn for the really difficult, she had to take time off for a major life event when her husband got diagnosed with cancer. She also talks about why it's so critical that new parents need communities and to be in conversation and connection with other parents so that you can figure out what's going on because having all parents siloed into different sections doesn't actually work. We've got to be in touch with each other and why her company is working to change that. So take a listen. I can't wait to share this episode with you and welcome Sarah Moskov to the show. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Life can be really unpredictable, especially when you're getting ready to add a baby to your life. The sponsor of this episode, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, is dedicated to making the hassle of getting your breast pump a little bit easier. Actually, a lot easier. Head to aeroflowbreastpumps.com startup to have them help you qualify for a free breast pump through insurance. And stick around because at the end of this episode, I'll walk you through how it works and tell you a little bit more of how Aeroflow breast pumps can save you so much time. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. All right, everybody, I am so excited to have Sarah Moskopf here. And she is the CEO and co founder of Winnie. It's an amazing company that focuses on parents. So who better to have on this show? I've already introduced her at length and told you all about the amazing things she's done. Uh, So Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So I am so glad that you're here and I have a million questions for you. Why don't you tell us about this company that you started because it's your most recent endeavor, but walk us through how, how and why you started it and what it does. Yeah, so just a quick overview. It's the companion app for modern parents. Find great places to go with your kids, everything from preschools to playgrounds to kid-friendly restaurants. But we also help you get advice and information that you need to be a successful parent throughout every age and stage of your parenting journey. And so why did I build Winnie? Well, I I became a parent. And I think the most shocking thing to me about becoming a a first-time parent 
was that parenting information was so hard to find. Basic stuff like finding childcare so I could go back to work was a full-time job. Um, the information that you need to be a successful parent is like locked away in private mother's groups, or you kind of have to figure it out through trial and error, or it's offline at the bulletin board at your local library. A lot of things are done in a really old school way. And, and having worked in technology for the last decade, I am used to having everything like be a, a swipe or a tap away. <laughs> I was at the time working at Postmates which is an on-demand delivery startup. So I was, you know, getting people their burritos delivered in 15 minutes or less. But yet, you know, when it came to the most basic parenting questions, I couldn't get the information that I needed. So I started talking to this woman I worked with who was also a mom of two and an engineer. And we realized there's this huge opportunity that everyone else was missing, um, where, you know, 90% of new parents now are millennials and were this generation that's grown up with technology. And no one is really building for their needs. There's there's really very little technology out there for parents. And so we felt like everyone was missing this opportunity, either because they weren't experiencing these problems firsthand, or they didn't have the technology background to really address the problems at scale. So shortly after becoming a mom, I quit my job and started Winnie. Wow. I hear so many stories of people who quit their jobs right when their little ones are little to start new companies. And I mean, I guess I'm one of those too. And it seems so insane and sane at the same time. What was that like? Yeah, for me, the thinking was this probably isn't the ideal time to start a company. You know, there were times in my life that I had been single, you know, for the last 30 years, or not single, but didn't have a kid. And those would have been easier times to start a company. But this is probably, it's probably not going to get easier than it than it is now. Like I can't go back in time. And this having a child is what gave me the idea and the impetus to start a company. And so I felt like it could only get harder. Like I was only ever going to have more children or more responsibilities. So I might as well do it now while it's, you know, the easiest that it will be going forward. So that was sort of my thinking. I also felt like there was this opportunity to create a really family-friendly work environment. I was working in an environment that was not family-friendly at all, and I didn't think that would matter to me. But after having a child, I realized it really did. And so I thought, you know, I have this opportunity to build my own startup where I can sort of show the tech industry that it's possible to be family-friendly and be successful. And so that was also sort of in the back of my mind is a thing I could do in addition to building technology for parents. I feel like people don't wake up to this, like this idea that, that work environments are mostly not family friendly in a lot of respects. And, and it's just once you become a parent, you're like, oh, what? Like, why do we do all these things this way? What did it mean to you to have a family friendly work environment? Like, what does that look like logistically and tactically? Yeah. I mean... For us at Winnie, it's not so much offering the absolute longest parental leave and the state-of-the-art lactation rooms. Those things are awesome, and we try to, to do that as much as possible. That, to me, is just like table stakes. And what you really need to be family-friendly is the ability to have people have some flexibility to have them not be in the office 24-7. There's this culture around startups that you have to be working all the time. And that's just not feasible for, for parents, especially new parents. Or it might be feasible, but many don't want to do that. 
and many people just don't want to do that. Even if you don't have kids, there's, there's a lot of talent that you can tap into when you can offer them, you know, the ability to go home at night and on the weekends and not work or have flexibility if you need to go to a doctor's appointment one day or you want to take the morning off to do something for yourself. Like just get your work done is sort of our philosophy. Um, and we're really flexible around your schedule. And I've seen you, you've written before that you like have a pretty firm stance about ending on time with your work and not holding lots of offsites and not having yeah. lots of late evening events. Do you have a formal policy around that? Is it informal? What does that look like? It's informal, but I think it, it comes from the founders. Like my co-founder and I are both parents and we need to get home to be with our children. And so, you know, we don't have meetings late at night and we don't, you know, go out to drinks to celebrate every launch. Or if we do celebrate, it's a lunch event during office hours so that, you know, there's not this culture of drinking constantly and, you know, night and weekend type things that are just really hard for for parents to manage. I saw this article the other day and it was like, for you to be really successful, like it all matters what you do between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m. And I'm out and I'm at every event and I'm at every conference. And I was like, you're not a parent. You're, you don't have kids. I just, I couldn't even take it anymore. I see these articles on like Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. And I'm just like, you guys, like what, what alternative reality are we living in that children don't exist for everybody? Yeah. And I think there's actually a lot of benefit to being selective. It's not that I never go to events at night, but I'm really selective about what ones I go to. Or if someone asks me to attend a conference, I will write back and I'll say like, okay, I can make time for this if you have a speaking opportunity for me. Um, and I've actually gotten some speaking opportunities by doing that. And so the fact that I'm really restricted in my time means that I try to make the things that I do really count. And I think that's actually helped me. It's helped me prioritize and it's helped me sort of get opportunities I might not have otherwise cared about going for because, you know, there was an event every night to do. Hmm. That's so interesting. I feel like you're at the edge of this. There's another woman I interviewed, Laura Roeder, but you're at the forefront of this radical idea. And I hesitate to call it radical because it doesn't seem that radical, but this radical idea that you can do a startup and work 40 hours or less per week and you can do it better than other people. And you're like, hey, hate to break it to you. You guys all working 200 hour weeks. We did it in 40. This is yeah. the new radical. And it's wild that we don't prioritize working less and smarter, that the the cultural mythology, especially of Silicon Valley, is the hustler, the all-nighter, the never stopper. Yeah, hmm. I, I agree. It's crazy. And you just can't, especially when you're, you know, using your brain to do your job, which many tech startups you are because you're you're actually writing code. Your brain just doesn't operate at the same capacity for you know, longer than a certain number of hours at a time. So you're just not productive. Hmm. So how big is your company now? What does Winnie look like? You've got the two co-founders and what's your team look like? Yeah, so we have four additional people besides the two of us, so six people in total. We're based in San Francisco, and we have some some contractors that work for us on and off. 
but yeah, we like to, to keep the team pretty small and lean. We're all engineers. So we're a little lopsided in that way, but we're building a technology company. So we, we felt like it was important to really stack the deck in favor of engineering at this stage. And then as we grow, we'll bring on other roles. So for a mom that's not in tech and not an engineer, and they're trying to they look at Winnie, how do you explain it in human terms? I know that I asked you at the beginning, but I'm trying to think like it's an app, right? That people use as well as a website, but it's an app yeah. and you get to ask people questions. It's like yeah, a new mom's so, club or a new parents club. Yeah. So it's for all kinds of parents. Um, we have, you know, parents of teenagers on Winnie mm. getting information, but yeah, it's an app you download for the iPhone or for Android. It's free. And a lot of people download it to find great family friendly spots like a daycare or preschool or a great restaurant to go to. And people also use it to ask questions and get advice. So we have all sorts of different topic communities about everything from breastfeeding to potty training to raising teenagers. So parents will ask questions on there and hear from other parents who are in similar shoes or other local parents if it's a local question. This is so interesting because I'm in so many parenting groups and now I'm just fascinated by the business model and also the community aspect because one of the things that I always struggle with is understanding like where the information is sourced, who is the expert or what's the point of view. I'm wondering if you're crowdsourcing information from other parents, how do you do quality control? Is that something that you think about? Yeah, that was something we that was really important to build from the very beginning. So all the content on Winnie is moderated. And we've built a lot of technology to enable the best answers to sort of bubble to the top and the best conversations. And make sure that the information that you're getting on Winnie is really valuable and useful. I think that's something that, you know, you don't necessarily find just searching for something on the internet or asking in a in a local group. So it was important to us that you could really trust Winnie as a resource. Mm-hmm. That's such a huge puzzle. And I'm sure a fascinating part of the technology build is it's not just a platform for Q&A, but it's also like, how do you connect people to the information that they want based on their geospatial location and, and their time and their kids' yeah. ages? Interesting. Yeah, it's something you can really only do with a technology product. All parents are different. We knew it would be really important to personalize the information you get. Um, if I'm, you know, asking a question about what stroller to get, the fact that I live in San Francisco in the hilliest neighborhood, and that I have a two-year-old and a new baby on the way, those are the kinds of answers that are going to be relevant to me, not just any old answer. The fact that I can afford an up a baby stroller, you know, is probably also relevant to the the answers that I want to hear. So making sure that we really give people the information that is relevant and personalized to their situation. Hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's so much harder to do than than you would expect from the outside, I'm sure. Hmm. Now I'm just thinking about all of this. So you started this company right after having a baby. How old was your little one when you started the company? So uh, I went back to work when she was six weeks old. And I met Anne, or I sort of started talking about this idea with Anne, who's now my co-founder. And then we we spent a few months sort of thinking through different ideas. And then I think it was, you know, when my daughter was a few months old, we 
quit our jobs and started the company in earnest in January of 2016. How did you go back to work at six weeks? What was that like for you? So for me, I was really ready to go back to work. I know that's unusual. And all parents are really different in this respect. But, you know, for me, I, I just needed to be around other adults, have some some real human interaction. So I was really ready at that point to go back. Was your little one able to get some sleep? And did you have some help? Like, how did all of that look? Yeah. So I, in the beginning, was really sleep deprived. And uh, I experienced a lot of postpartum depression because of it. Then finally, figured out this thing, which was hiring someone to come at night and stay with the baby. And that was super helpful. That, you know, enabled me to get the sleep I needed to have my sanity and to work. I mean, I think once I I had that in place, I was in a much better position to go back to work. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I think like there's every story is so nuanced and so different. And there are people who go back to work after two weeks and people at six weeks and people who aren't ready till six months and, and how you construct it and how you do it and what you want is so important to all factor in there. So when did you quit your job? You said when she was how old? I guess she was four months old at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was probably a pretty, on the outside, it looked like a pretty crazy thing to do. But I was fortunate to have the financial support in place. And I felt like there wasn't a better time. Hmm. And is that because of your previous jobs or because of your partnership or a little bit of both? Both. I mean, I, you know, have been fortunate at, at where I worked in the past. I was an early employee at Twitter. And that that has worked out for me. I also have a great husband who's really supportive. So having those things in place like made it easy for me to feel like, you know, I could not take an income and it would be okay and that I could still have childcare. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, is, is something most people don't have. So I'm, I'm very aware of the amount of privilege I have to be able to do that. I think it's another reason I felt like I had to do this because I was in a position where I could, um, where so many people aren't. So there, there may be you know, women with a technology background that are seeing these problems firsthand, but they, they just can't afford to pay for childcare and not work or not, not make an income for a period of time. Absolutely. Um, and so I felt like I had all the pieces in place. How could I not do this? Hmm. You're speaking to the choir here too, because that's how Startup Pregnant is, is working. You know, in many ways, it's, it's like, oh, I got a paid maternity leave and I have a partnership and we're able to cut back expenses and I have to do this now. Yeah. It's so important. And likewise, not everyone can do this. And some people are scratching their heads. And I think the the media stories we see sometimes don't capture all of this. It's like, wait, how did this person do like what what are the puzzle pieces? And when you're like, oh, I was able to A, I had savings and B, I was able to pay for childcare. It's like, oh, there isn't some magical mom out there who like is able to do all of these things all at the same exact time. Like there are resources that are involved. I mean, I have always been very vocal about this, that I pay for a lot of things that, that I am not doing. So, you know, I pay for someone to clean my house. I pay for childcare full time. I now pay to have someone cook for us because... We have very specific dietary requirements, and it was taking up too much of my time to cook dinner every night. This is something that most people can't afford to do, but the fact that 
I do it doesn't make me a worse mom. It makes me uh, makes it possible for me to do all these other things. So when people, you know, wonder how do I do it, it's like I'm getting all this help. That's how I'm doing it. Right. I think not enough people share that. Right. I think that's one of my favorite questions sometimes to ask on this podcast, which you basically just answered, which is like, what do you, what don't you do? Right. Like the myth of doing it all or having it all. We collapse all of these these women and these heroes in my mind into one, into this magical one. You know, I'll do as much as Oprah while also being Brene Brown, while also doing, you know, making a television show like Shonda Rhimes. And it's like actually a, women don't do a lot. And that's how they right. do it. Is there anything else that you don't do? I mean, basically anything I can pay to have someone else do, I I pay to have them do. Uh, my philosophy is just like my time is more valuable, especially right now. Like that may not be true in in a few years when when my kids are older, but right now, any time and energy for me is is more valuable than doing it myself. There's a lot I still can't pay people to do, uh, and so uh, you know I I do still have very limited time. But when it comes to things like cooking, cleaning, and childcare, that's mm-hmm. that's all stuff I can you know, I can pay someone to do better than me. And so then you've got this brand new company and you've got a co-founder and you know what it is that you want to build and you've got a brand new baby, you know, probably that's almost crawling. And I know that you went through a major family life event right afterwards. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So shortly after I started Winnie, so we started in January, 2016, and we took a little bit of funding And then like a few months later, my husband started getting really sick and we didn't know what was wrong with him. And I had an infant daughter. I had a new company. I was really busy and sort of left him to his own devices to figure out why he was getting sicker and sicker. And he actually decided to take some time off work. He thought, you know, maybe he was a little too stressed out, working too hard. Eventually, we finally got a diagnosis that he had cancer. That's why he was sick. By the way, if you're sick for for a couple months and not getting better, something is is probably wrong, and and so you should you should take it seriously. So we found out he had cancer, and now I'll just you know cut to the chase that now he's cancer free and and doing well. But it was a really tough, probably around six months of chemo, and he was you know, really sick and out of commission for that time. Um, so just you know handling that and a new child and a new company was a lot. And I think, you know, I kind of thought back and like my initial thinking when starting Winnie was it's never going to get easier. And I was right. I just didn't think it would get so much harder so quickly. But that has actually helped put a lot in perspective for me. I think, you know, it's easy when you have a startup to take it really seriously and, and feel like, it is your entire livelihood. And if something goes wrong with your startup, that it's the end of the world. And having, you know, almost losing my husband and and sort of seeing everything hit rock bottom for us made me realize that nothing else is important. (laughs) Like my family being healthy is the most important thing. um, And everything else is, you know, just a minor detail of it's going well. And so it's just helped me a lot sort of be less stressed out about all the stuff I have going on with my life because, you know, we have our health right now. So that's all that really matters. Holy moly. I remember reading too the post that you had written and it felt like you wrote almost immediately a very public post about what happened. And what was so 
honest about it was also the like direct requests for help. You're like, these are the things we need help with. These are the things that we don't know yet. This is the path forward. How did you go from being in the hospital with him and having all of these obligations to just getting straight out and connecting to your community? Yeah, so I was sort of getting inundated with people who who learned about his diagnosis and people wanting to help. People were sending me stuff to my door and it was just really overwhelming to keep everyone updated. Uh, And also I saw that people wanted to feel like they were doing something and like the way they were helping by like sending things to my house so that I had piles of crap that I had to deal with was not actually helping me. So I just wanted to be really explicit about what the, the state of everything was. Also, like there were a few specific things I did need help on. There was a very specific doctor that is impossible to get into without connections that I I needed him to see. And so I I felt like writing that and telling people, I'm going to update you through a blog. And this way I can just do it all in one shot. And like, please don't contact me unless you can help with these very specific things would be a good way to sort of just like deal with everything. It was also just a good outlet for me because I I felt like I needed to to write down what was happening in real time and like have a way to express that, especially because, you know, the person I lean on for emotional support, my husband, when when someone's really sick, you can't lean on them for emotional support. They they need to lean on you. So I sort of leaned on the outside world and, you know, I I found that was actually really useful. I got a ton of support that way and it also been helpful just like as a way for I think people to see the sort of more human side of me and building a company. I think that's only helped me. The fact that I'm so open with, you know, both the good and the bad. And 2016 was not that long ago. Right. So in that was the middle of 2016. And I'll ask you maybe just one more question about that time, because I want to ask you other questions as well. How did that affect your work? Like, what did you do when you were in this baby space of the startup? Right. So initially, when he got diagnosed, I told my co-founder, like, I'm signing off everything. I'll be back when I can. And I just kind of assumed, like, the company would die. Uh, I knew we had taken some money and we had hired some people. And I felt, you know, that was going to suck. But that's the way it is. I have to focus on, on my husband. And so I signed off for two weeks completely. I didn't check in at all. And I got I got back after two weeks. And like the the app that we had been working on, we hadn't launched our app at that point. Um, the beta version of the app was ready to go and, and launch in the app store. The team had actually been way more productive than when I was there and like didn't seem to care that I was gone. <laughs> like it didn't matter. And I realized, you know, this was actually part of my doing. Like the way we set up the company from day one was such that we had a lot of flexibility and we didn't rely on any one single person. And it would actually be possible for me, even if I couldn't be physically present in the office at all times during my husband's cancer treatment it would still be possible for me to be involved with the company and for things to move at the same speed they were moving. And also after the two weeks, I had a lot more in place. My mom had moved out to California to help me. We had gotten a formal diagnosis of the kind of cancer, which was really critical and like knowing exactly what treatment he'd need. And I kind of felt like, okay, 
things are, are going to be under control. It's going to suck for the next few months, but there there's less uncertainty. So I, I felt like I could just jump right back in at that point. So yeah, I think those initial couple weeks were really scary. And like, I, I had no idea what to expect. But like the fact that the team just continued on fine without me and the company was sort of set up to not not need people there at all times anyway, those things sort of worked in our favor to, to keep things going. Huh. Isn't that fascinating that like sometimes something takes us away, good or bad, sometimes the worst thing. And then our team is like, oh, it's cool. We didn't need you. And you're like, wait a right. second. <laughs> hmm. Because hmm. I mean, I'm the I'm the least productive engineer on our team. <laughs> and, you know, half the time I'm just distracting them anyway with new ideas and new things I want them to work on. So it, it was actually a great way for them to focus and get stuff done when I wasn't there. Hmm. So you wrote something in this series that you've written chronicling 2016 and 2017. And it really stood out to me. You said, for the first year that I can remember, I'm not making any resolutions. I'm not going to try to lose 10 pounds or read 100 books or run 1,000 miles. I'm going to skip self-improvement this year. I thought that was wild. And also, like, it kind of made me feel like I wanted to exhale. I was like, oh, we don't have to pretend that we're all these things and adding and layering more and more and more. So now we're towards the end of 2017. How has that gone? Is that something that you've still maintained? What's What has that journey been like? Yeah, I have definitely skipped self-improvement. I have not improved. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> not uh, what I mean, but I, that's funny. I think I'm going to skip it again in 2018. I kind of liked not having things that I had to do. But seriously, like the way I felt was, look, I need to like keep my family healthy. That's the, the number one thing. After that, if I have any time or energy left, I'm going to spend that helping people that need help, whether that's, you know, people that are, are dealing with cancer or parents that are dealing with being parents. That's also something I'm, I'm really passionate about helping people with. And that's what I'm going to do with my leftover time. I'm not going to worry about like making myself the most awesome person possible. I'm going to, you know, focus on keeping people alive. And then if I have anything left after that, it's helping others. How did you recover from the adrenaline and the energy it took to sustain everything and being the person that your husband leaned on for emotional support. Was there any kind of fallout or burnout or break that you took? Like, what was that like? Well, I mean, the weird kind of bad thing about cancer is, you know, even when you get chemo and you're cured, um, you're still not 100% better. It takes a bunch of time. And I would say like, it wasn't until recently that my husband has had his energy back. And so it was a more gradual thing, like went from him not moving out of bed to, you know, him being able to go back to work. And then like, you know, him being able to work and then also help take care of my daughter. And so it sort of there was never a single moment where I was like, okay, it's all over. Um, and I still feel like I'm holding my breath waiting for the other shoe to drop at any moment. But it, it gets better every day. Like I feel less anxious that my world is going to crash and burn with every day that goes by. So yeah, I mean, I think it still hasn't quite hit me that it's, it's all over and everything's going to be all right, because we really will never know if everything's all right. Only, only time will tell. And you mentioned 
kids, right? You mentioned multiple kids. So talk to me, where are you in your family journey? What does that look like? Yeah, so uh, we are expecting another child in May because things weren't crazy enough with with just one child and the startup and a sick husband. Um, so when things got better, you know, we had to make it crazy again. So that's exciting, and it's something that I've always wanted to have more than one child. And for a while, I wasn't sure if it would be possible. So I'm, I just feel really fortunate that that so far things are going well. What do you mean you didn't know that it would be possible? Well, for a period of time, I I wasn't sure if Eric was going to live. So I thought I'd be a single mom and probably would stop my family with just my daughter um, at that point, given that I was going to have to raise her on my own. Then it became clear that, that Eric would live a long and happy life. And when we tried to grow our family, uh, we learned that the chemo that he had been treated with, it, it's a really aggressive chemo regimen, had made him infertile. So we were not able to conceive another child naturally. Fortunately, we had stored his sperm prior to him starting chemo. So we had some frozen sperm that we were able to use. Um, and I, I did IVF, which was definitely not as bad as I thought it would be in my head. Fortunately, it worked. So now I'm pregnant. Hmm. The things, the work, the energy, the time, the, the, just all of it that it takes to get pregnant. It's so different. My friend Carrie uh, said she wrote the sentence and she said, like, some people sneeze and they get pregnant and other people, it's not like that at all. And I always yeah. think of that because there's just so many experiences of getting pregnant and it's never, we make so many, like, asinine cultural assumptions about women and their bodies and oh you got pregnant and you're like how was the trying and you're just like go away <laughs> like, yeah you know there's just so much thank you for sharing that i'm i know that this podcast is always asking so many intimate questions and i'm really grateful for people for sharing because i think it's i mean you know it's right in part and parcel with your mission of actually making information accessible to women um, and parents in line with that what do you wish that more women knew Either, well, let's start with startups. I'm going to ask you this for both startups and for parenting. But what do you wish that more women knew about starting a business or getting into the startup scene? Well, I think, first of all, there's, it's actually a great career for women, especially for mothers. And I think, you know, people think of tech startups and they have this image of, you know, young guys in hoodies working all hours a day. But when you start your own company, like you get to set the rules. And if you don't want to be a young guy in, her, in a hoodie working 24-7, like you don't have to start your company that way. So I've actually found that this is probably the best job I can have as a mom because I have the ability to to do things my way. And if that's, you know, coming into work late because I want to take my daughter to preschool and and hang out there, I can do that. I can do whatever I want uh, as long as my company is successful. So I wish I want to see more women taking the leap and starting companies and realizing it's really compatible with starting a family. Do you work directly with women and mentors and helping them start companies? I have like informally, I think, talked to a lot of women that are are starting companies. and, And I've sought advice from many people that have done this. But 
I I haven't done anything formal or on a regular basis, mostly because I don't have any time. I was going to say, I mean, um, with all your extra time, obviously. But, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm in some networks that have been just really helpful in connecting me with other women who are starting companies. And, and there's actually a bunch of them. Um, and for some reason, we don't get like written about or as much press as the the guys starting companies. Uh, we also don't brag about ourselves enough. But there are really great networks of women in tech. So I, I think there's plenty of other people to, to lean on and get advice from. Hmm. Do you know some of those off the top of your head that you could recommend for our listeners to join? Oh, good, good networks of women in tech. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of, of the, women in tech and the Fempire. Yeah, there's there's that group, the Femps. Or the um, Femps, right. But uh, there's, there's a large group called Tech Ladies. Um, I just did an event for them, went to one of their events the other night there, they have a really large Facebook group. And that's, that's women in all sorts of tech jobs. So that that's a great community. There's like, a female founders group on Facebook that I'm in. So there's probably like a million different groups that I'm in now that I've, I've been added to, as a result of being a, a woman in tech and a founder. So I don't think there's like a lack of other founders to connect with. You know, I try not to spend like too much of my time talking to other founders because the people that can really help you in your company are investors, they're your users, like getting out there and, and talking to people who are using your product or who could be using your product. And so like I, I also try to make sure that like when I am doing going to events outside of work, like I'm I'm not just like mingling with other struggling startup founders, but I'm talking to people that have really big companies and people who invest money and people in my industry that I could, you know, do partnerships with things that are are actually going to help my business. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. So for people listening, I'll put those in the show notes. And this is for the woman who is stumbling across this. And this is the first time they've heard of things like this. And they're like, well, where do I find them? It's like, go find one of these groups and follow the breadcrumbs, because that'll lead you to five more, which will lead you to 20 more, which will lead you to the hundred that once you get into it, you're like, oh, there's so many groups. And it's just, it's like Winnie, right? It's, it's find a group that helps you solve the problems that you're having, or at least ask questions of other people that are in the same situation. So with regards to Winnie, what are some of the common themes or the most compelling questions people are asking in there? What are you learning at this moment, kind of in real time, about this community that's growing? So there's a lot. There's, you know, small question. So there's, there's a whole local component to our product. So a lot of people are using Winnie to just go about their daily life, whether that's figuring out what to do on the weekend with their families or find out more sort of important things like finding childcare or preschools. That's a huge use case for our product. And I think this was, we kind of had this hunch that this information was hard to get and that by like centralizing it all in one place um, and making this resource something people could update and add to, it would produce a lot of value for people. But it's something that we're now seeing with data is that people are coming back to Winnie, you know, on a weekly basis or some on a daily basis to seek out information. And a lot of times that information is local. So it's, you know, what to do this weekend. And and the cool thing about kids is that they're constantly changing. And so as a parent, you need new places to go and, and you're looking for new information. 
just when you sort of think you have it all figured out, your kids change on you um, and you need something different. So we have this sort of like natural recurring (laughs) use case that's sometimes kind of hard to build for when you're building product. How do you keep getting people to come back to your app? We don't have to worry about that so much because sort of the the needs of parenting already dictate that you're going to need new information. So that, that part is nice. The other thing we're seeing is just people asking general parenting questions. We sort of started this as a local resource, thinking that the main information that people didn't have access to was stuff like, what's the best daycare that's nearby and within my price range? And you know, they also speak Mandarin. Or where should I go for swimming lessons? Or what's the the best playground uh, near this restaurant we're headed to? But what we were finding is that like people just had general parenting needs. So you know everything from like when you're pregnant and you have questions about pregnancy, like all the way through to like questions about raising teenagers. People were starting to ask those on Winnie, and we realized this is because there's not a single great trusted resource to get this information. Like you can, you can Google some of this stuff and there's, you know, outdated baby center message boards that may have an answer to your question, but it's actually pretty hard to find like really timely information that's personalized to your specific need or scenario. So we're seeing people ask just the whole spectrum of parenting questions, which is cool because we start to now develop this really long tail of content we had this great thread on Winnie the other day about like, does anyone have a child with club foot? There were so many parents that responded that they either had club foot or they had a kid with club foot. I didn't even know what club foot was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even like something that you wouldn't expect to get a ton of information on. We're now building out this like really long tail of content, which is cool. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, you just like triggered this memory in me. I think it's called Hockenfuße in German, hooked foot. Um, I had it. Interesting. Uh, total side comment. Total side comment. Wow. And there is, it's like, how do you find the information that you need? Well, um, so I admire everything that you're doing at Winnie. I think it is so interesting and so relevant and so important. And and addresses this like giant gaping gap of why don't we make more products and technology for really specific segments? Not specific. They're not that specific. Like parents is a big section of our population and the elderly and children. So I want to close by asking you first about how you changed as a parent. Like what what surprised you in your own um, journey into becoming a parent? And how have you changed from who you were five or 10 years ago? Oh, this is easy. <laughs> well, I'm I'm extremely type A, probably have a touch of like obsessive compulsive disorder. So I like things to go a very particular way. I was the type of person that had mapped out my whole life when I was, you know, like 22. I figured out when I wanted to get married and like when I wanted to have my kid and like all of that. And I I pretty much had stuck to that timeline. And I think that the thing you learn being a parent is that you really can't control any of it. So, you know, part of that was being a parent, part of that was my husband getting cancer. But I realized that, you know, everything is out of my control. Um, And the best I can do is like, deal with the situation at hand and try to do my best. But I, I can't control things anymore. I also, you know, can't, 
really, I don't really have that much control over my daughter and who she is. I can try to teach her the right things and expose her to the right stuff. But a lot of her personality is uh, just very clearly something she was born with. She's almost a clone of of my personality. So I can just see (laughs) that as much as I want her to be like calm and chill and go with the flow, she is, uh, she is who she is. And I can't, I can't control that. Hmm. Um, So I think it's been helpful. Like, it's probably my my number one asset now as as a startup founder to sort of realize that like, there are so many things that I can't control with this company, but I can sort of take what's happening and react to it and learn from what's going on and iterate, which are all the things you do when raising a human. So I think that's the the biggest thing that changed about me is I've just I've chilled out a lot and it's made it possible for me to to do more because I don't need to dwell so much on a very specific outcome. And I usually ask people this right at the beginning and I skipped over it, but I want to make sure to ask you. Can you tell us about what this morning today looked like? What time did you wake up and what's your routine? Well, I definitely don't have a routine um, today. And, and usually I wake up around 7 a.m. It's just sort of when I naturally get up. I'm always up before my daughter, which is nice. She's, she's a really good sleeper. She's that going for her. So I usually get up and then some combination of my husband and I deal with her and getting her fed and clothed as we also try to feed and clothe ourselves. So there's not really a routine. It's like just constant chaos. She's two and a half. So (laughs) she's, you know, running around yelling for us to play with her. And we're trying to get ready in the morning. Today was no exception. I think she asked to play like 50 times. But we've sort of set things up so that like by 9am, we try to both be out the door. So it gives us two hours of just like chaos in the morning with her and getting ready. But yeah, I would, I would love like a routine where I could like drink a cup of coffee or, you know, put on makeup or shower. (laughs) Usually it's like, I just got to pick like one or two of those things and hope that they get done before it's time for me to head off to work. That's hilarious. I, I tried to take a shower once when I was at home without my husband around with my little one, Leo, and he played peekaboo with the shower curtain and got soaked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's funny. Um, and so at nine, then you, who takes your kids to daycare or to, is there a nanny? What What's that? Yeah, I have a nanny, which is okay. great because I don't have to get my daughter out of the house. So she does go to preschool twice a week and I've been taking her there, which is you know something I've I want to do because I like seeing her uh, in the morning at preschool and and getting to talk to her teachers. And then you um, go to the office that you guys have, which isn't that far yeah. from where you live, right? I yeah. Imagine. So uh, we our office is in the Mission District of San Francisco, which is pretty central. Though now with San Francisco traffic, it takes like forty minutes to get anywhere, but. It is really nice living and working in the city because commuting is a big time suck. And like the fact that I can sort of be relatively close to where I work just enables me to have more time with my family. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing all of this. I really appreciate it. And it's been such, such a good thing to be able to see inside of all of these different pieces of your life. Thanks so much for having me. I promised at the beginning of the episode to tell you a little bit more about the pumping journey and about how Aeroflow Breast Pumps works. They are the sponsor of this episode. So for all of you breastfeeding and pumping mamas, here is the info that you wanted. Aeroflow Breast Pumps makes the process of getting a breast pump covered through your insurance as easy as possible. They have dedicated and informed breast pump specialists to help you navigate insurance by taking care of the paperwork, the phone calls, and the prescription requests so that you can take it easy. They're available by phone, text, or email to answer any questions you have during this exciting time in your life. One of the trickiest things is the timing of everything. A lot of insurance plans only allow you to get a pump within 30 days of your due date. Let me tell you, figuring out when that baby is going to arrive and then getting everything done within these exact timeframes can be really hard. They take care of everything, including contacting your physician for a prescription, recommending the best breast pump options for you and your lifestyle, billing and processing those insurance claims, and shipping the breast pump to your door free of charge. The entire process is totally free. So if you want to work with them to get your breast pump, go to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup, and they will get you started right away. Thanks for being a sponsor of Working Pumping Mamas, Aeroflow Breast Pumps. you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit at home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on startuppregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.